black and red in my head is something wrong with you to the PCAST. Each week we take you around Austin P, the Athletics Department, sometimes Clarksville, and occasionally the OVC to give you the full scope of what's unfolding around us. I am Colby Wilson. He is Dylan Schwartz. And if you've caught so much as a whiff of this week's schedule, you know that our time may not be valuable, but it is very limited. Dylan, um, let's let's make this quick because this is a this is a long week for everybody. Yeah, a lot of events coming up, so you know, I, I've read over the script, so I'm thinking you may mention that again <laughs> at some point down the line. Yeah, a time or two. Yeah. Uh, quickly, want to get into a couple of Austin P-related things. Tertiarily from last week, uh, something that may have slipped under the radar because I believe it happened last Thursday uh, as we were in the run-up to the Murray State game. A.J. Ellis, former governor, great, and longtime Major League Baseball player, retired and moved upstairs into a front office role with the San Diego Padres. A week later, the Padres signed Manny Machado. So, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying A.J. Ellis, like, knocked on the owner's door and said, you got to go get this Machado guy. He's really good. But I'm not saying he didn't either. What, what is his uh, role? Do you know? Oh, man. I, no. Uh, oh. Well, then he, he he signed him. He signed him. <laughs> retired guy that we didn't want to lose from the organization, but we couldn't exactly figure out what we wanted him to do yet, so we just gave him a title and we'll sort it out the rest of the way, basically is what it boils down to. But it more than likely starts A.J. off on a very long career in front office slash field work. Um, former catchers tend to do pretty well in those roles and I have no doubt that A.J. will be successful in whatever it is he does. Before we get started on recapping last week, we just want to commend the Murray State crowd last Thursday night. The ESPN2 game, this was a, a fun atmosphere, packed house. Uh, sorry, Dylan, didn't get to see it. You were on the road with the women in Moorhead, Kentucky. That really uh, sucks for you. But it was a great crowd. <laughs> you just take my word for it. A lot of fun, well, a lot of energy. We were on the way back, so I guess we were out of Moorhead technically. But, you know, still on the bus isn't, you know, not the best position to be in when you saw all those scenes from back in the Dunn. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a good time. Hopefully we can uh, recreate that this week. Uh, that'll take us right into men's basketball when the Govs hosted Murray and traveled to Moorhead last week. Um, here it was the Terry Taylor and Ja Morant show. Uh, Terry had 25-8. and eight. Ja had 32, six boards, seven assists, something in that nature. Um, it, it, was a, it was a battle between two of the league's best. Um, my first impression of Morant – I mean, my – not my first impression. I saw him a few times last year, but my first impression of Ja Morant, potential lottery pick, was, you know, he's he's a good shooter. He has impeccable court vision. I mean, that's that's really his biggest calling card is his, his impeccable court vision. But I highly doubt that he's going to get the James Harden treatment at the next level. He shot uh, 13 free throws and made 11 as part of his 32 points here. Um when you're not getting those calls and the athletes are all as good as you, I don't know, you know, I don't I don't know exactly what his future is. I mean, obviously he's going to be an NBA player, but it's just Terry Taylor was yeah. every bit 
as successful as he was last week. I also thought when seeing Mariah, I mean, obviously I wasn't there in the crowd, but the one thing that also stuck out to me uh, when watching Morant was how fast he was. I mean, he was unbelievably just yeah. fast. I remember one time where I think there was a turnover, and he got the break, and there was two Austin P players like running kind of a little bit in front on the side of him, and he just split them in like two steps later from the three-point line was already at the basket laying it up and yeah I mean know, it's not it's not like Austin P doesn't have athlete I mean no. and I'm just sitting here like like the whole bus that would come back we're just sitting there in amazement like that was un, you know unbelievable it's, it's, it's so routine as well yeah he, he's a step I think he's a step faster than most people at the OVC level will he be a step faster to everybody at the NBA level is going to be his trick but I, I do think that 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 awareness and that vision and that knowledge of what to do with the ball in his hand is like he had six turnovers in our game, but I, it wasn't because of any. It wasn't like he just was throwing the ball away. He he knew where teammates were going two step two or three seconds before they knew where they were going. It was he he is a very good player, but I still take Terry Taylor right there alongside of him. Most important matchup, obviously, in this series in years, and it came down to the wire. A split second between the ball leaving Steve Harris's fingertips and the final horn going off. I thought initially he got it off or that on replay it would be too close to call. And I'll say this, on one end of the court, you had Robert Smith, our photographer, shoot a photo where it looks like the ball is clearly out of, ta- or out of Harris's hands as the uh, backboard's lighting up. On the other end of the court, you have Mike Strazinger, uh from Sports Nashville who got a shot of the ball just on Harris's fingertips as the backboard lights up red. So, I mean, that's how close it was. Uh, in that one and the the good news here is obviously we get one more crack at these jokers in the regular season and perhaps even the first tournament matchup between the two since 2009 Uh, obviously don't want to dwell too much on a loss and we don't have to because terry taylor against morehead state had all the points 42 most by a governor since 2008 uh, I looked up at one point, Terry had 35 points and Moorhead had 40 as a team. It's the most points by an OVC player this season. The 18 boards is most by anyone in the NCAA paired with a 40-point scoring effort this season. Uh, Terry and Morant split OVC player of the week honors. Murray State people were very bent out of shape about this, and they should shut up because Terry had 42 <laughs> and 18. 42 Nobody points. else has done that in NCAA this season. I don't – stop, stop. We don't have to split hairs over greatness. It wasn't just a Taylor effort. Chris Porter-Bunton was the offensive catalyst for a late first-half surge to help Austin Peay take a lead in halftime after trailing by under six minutes, or by double digits with under six minutes to go there in the first half. He and Taylor scored all 18 points during that run, and then Porter-Bunton, who had, he barely played a minute before picking up two fouls in the first half. He played with foul trouble the entire way. He sank the go-ahead three in the second half on one end and then drew the game-clinching charge on the other end while playing with four fouls. I mean, Terry, 42-18 and 18 is going to get the headlines, but I don't think we can – I don't think we should undersell what Porter Button did to help the Governors earn that win. Their first at Moorhead State since 2009. As mentioned before, the women traveled to Moorhead, Kentucky on the Thursday instead of being at that action-packed Murray State-Austin P men's game. And coming into the game, uh, the two teams met – here in the Dunn on the opening weekend of conference play, and the Govs won an absolute thriller, 81-80. to 80. So I expected, you know, a high-scoring affair. It did not disappoint. The first quarter was 28-26, to 26, and it's not, it wasn't a lack of, 
of bad defense. Literally, just the shots kept going in. I mean, it was unreal. Were they getting up and down really quick? Or what? I, I was not focused. I'm, I hate to say this, but I was not very focused on the women's game that day. Yeah. I'm sorry. I had other things. Basically, if there was an open shot, the Govs were taking it, and the Eagles were, you know, and, and Moorhead State is probably one of the top two teams in the OVC in terms of athleticism behind, behind Belmont, I would say. And they would routinely just, you know, use that, you know, coming out fresh and energy at the first quarter to just simply drive past and, and get to the get to the bucket. They only had five threes in the game. That all came from one player, um, Aaliyah Junior. I'll, I'll I'll talk about in a minute. She had a good game, one of the better OVC newcomers this year. But I mean, this the shots were just falling, and obviously you can't rely on nine first half three pointers the entire game. It was the most um, in a half this season, 51 points in the first half from the Govs, and and it, it seemed like. Because Moorhead State was still there, but, you know, not shooting threes. They were, you know, getting the lane, drawing, getting some free throws, and so on and so forth. But they were shooting over 50%. The Govs, while that kind of hot stretch faded, nearly made one three in the second half, the Govs started to pick up more free throws, getting the line, made 28 free throws in the game. That was their most in over three years. Um, and it's not like they weren't missing. I mean, they went 20 to 34. That's over 80%. That's not bad when yeah. you've got to shoot over 30 free throws in a game. Exactly. And while it seemed like Moorhead, oh, here they come, you know, at home, coming into the game, second place in the OVC, want revenge for that um, loss here in the Dunn. They were up seven with less than four minutes to go, and the Govs came back and won that game. So we're all thinking, oh, they're going to make this run. And they actually cut the four late in the third quarter. Govs responded. And in the fourth quarter, the Eagles didn't they didn't get within close uh, as close as seven points. So – it seemed like that the Govs, even though they had this, you know, eight to twelve point lead for the majority of the second half, kind of felt like two to four with how you know how um, explosive Moorhead State was. But it was a huge win uh, for the Govs. Maggie Knowles had three, uh, three more three pointers in that game. Uh, that was her fourth game with at least three pointers, this, uh, three three pointers this season. Um, also had a career high eight rebounds. So I could finally change the note in the stat pack. She had about six games with seven rebounds, and it kept getting very long. Um, Keisha Gregory also had 21 points uh, after 25 against them in the first game. So there, there's there's something about Moorhead State that the Govs just like playing against. Or so yeah, I, th- I guess we just match up pretty well against them or something. Because I remember here, like they came in as one of the top in the league, and we we just matched up very well with them. I mean, June gets hers, like you yeah. were saying, but. Everybody else, we seem to do pretty well against. And and that's a kind of a weird case in in June. She's, you know, probably their most explosive player, and she's only started two of their games this year. She's their leading scorer. She you know is the main offensive, you know, focal point on a lot of possessions, and she doesn't start any of the games. Even when they had one of the regular starters in Crystal Simmons Kozar, is a Division One transfer, another Division One transfer from St. John's, I think it was. Um, she missed both the games against us, and they started uh, somebody else each of the two times. Hmm. And the person who started for her only played about 10 minutes total in that game. So it was very weird, but the Guns were able to get a huge win because going into that game, um, they were 6-6, six and six, and there was te- about seven teams all within two games each other going from uh, fifth place is to where the Govs and the Southeast Missouri Redhawks started before the game, all the way down to about um, 11th place. There's only a two-game difference, so huge win. Then the Heritage Bank Battle of the Border Part 2, or, well, Part 1 for the women, yeah, but Part 2 overall. Part 1, <laughs> yeah. Part 2 <laughs> of the overall. weekend, very confusing. Yeah. It wasn't the offensive 
firepower that that we all thought and and, and Murray led for the majority of this game um, coming in with Evelyn Adebayo who led the league in scoring and rebounding and had 14 in the first half but just two in the second 14 points or 14 Four, 14 points oh, I was yeah, gonna say, yeah, she yeah, had yeah. 14 first half. <laughs> <laughs> um, she ended up with 16 and 9 which you know for any other player in the league is probably like yeah that's a very good stat line but she came in averaging like 18 and 13 you know, walking double-double. Um, every time down late in, in the game when she would try to get post position, the Govs would bring help. Um, unfortunately for the Govs, Janika Griffith-Wallace had 22. 14 in the second half, hit a couple huge threes. And the Govs, you know, as I said, trailed for about, you know, trailed for most of this game. I think they, I think they led for less than four minutes total and ended up winning. Uh, started the fourth quarter down six. And... Um, while I said there was an offensive fi- firepower, they did connect on their three-point shots. Eleven of their 20 made field goals were three-pointers, and uh, I think that's a you know huge testament. Because if they don't have the three-pointers, they are you know not not winning this game. Honestly, um, they weren't getting to the line as normal. Um, they had their least number of attempts and makes in OVC play against the Racers, and that was actually their first win against an opponent when um, having less free-throw attempts whole season. Um, Keisha Gregory, another 20-point um, performance, so she had 41 total across the two games. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Brandy Furby, who had uh, 8 points, 7 rebounds, 9 assists. It's very good stat line for a uh, point guard. 9 assists are career high, 7 rebounds are career high. Um, played 38 of the 40 minutes in that game and also leads the OVC in assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, in she was only play. two points, three rebounds, and an assist from being overlooked for OVC Player of the Week. <laughs> that's, a, that's what they call a callback in the business, kids. Yeah. You should have listened to previous podcasts. <laughs> but all in all, a 2-0 sweep of the weekend, a massive 2-0 sweep, because now the Govs are in sole position of fifth place at 8-6 and six in the OVC, and with a couple wins this week at home, could even rise into that top four, and a couple teams below them you know, only went 1-1 one one or, or lost both. So you realistically... One win and they're you know an OVC tournament spot is guaranteed, really pretty much realistically here. Wish there was some wood for you to knock on. <laughs> Anywho, baseball opened its regular season by welcoming SEC foe Kentucky into Raymond Seaham Park. Uh, prior to Game One, some official business, the groundbreaking for the new clubhouse uh, scheduled to be completed next year. Uh, got underway, so look for that as our campus continually goes through improvements to offer the best and brightest to our student-athletes. Game 1, Jacques Pichu looked very, very good, worthy of the 2019 OVC preseason pitcher of the year moniker bestowed upon him in the preseason. Uh, scattered three hits over six innings, uh, held to a 75-pitch count in the opener to get a quality start out of that against an SEC foe. Uh, Got to feel pretty good about that. Offensively, the Govs uh, pretty up and down for the weekend. The Wildcats got the sweep. Garrett Spain, a freshman, looked very good, hit 400 for the weekend. Kentucky, uh, for the most part, pitched around Parker Phillips, the biggest and baddest bat in the lineup, but not everybody's going to be able to do that and look to get them going this weekend. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this weekend uh, later in the podcast, but I, last weekend – it's not fair to characterize, oh, well, they got swept by Kentucky. Say it more like, oh, they got swept by Kentucky. What are you going to do? That's an SEC team. Of course you'd like to take one. Chances were there. They had them a couple of times. Took some leads, but it's an SEC foe. you got to have a lot of things go right. 
the Govs have gotten those things to go right sometimes in the past. North Carolina State, Clemson, Kansas State, the list goes on. They've gotten some big wins. Just didn't manage to get one here early in the season. It's cold. It's wet. It's windy. It's not ideal conditions anyway. They'll bounce back this weekend. Uh, looking forward to talking about that a little more here later on in the pod. And for the softball team, they travel down to Louisiana as they continued on their what seems like five-month road the, trip. The never-ending tour. Yeah. <laughs> um, the big story was Morgan Rackle, who tossed the eighth no-hitter in Gov's program history. and uh, That's her second as well. So, you know, she owns two of those eight now in the governor's 1-0 win against Jackson State to close out the Louisiana Classic. She struck out seven and walked just two to even uh, her record at 3-3. Three and three. Just needed 85 pitches for the complete game. And the only run in that game actually came uh, via Drew Dudley's bases loaded walk in the fifth. So not a lot of offense in that yeah, game. Yeah, both sides were throwing it pretty well yeah. that game. Um, the first time they played, there was a lot of offense. The Govs, On one side. Yeah, Govs absolutely drubbed them 12-2 in the third game of the tournament. I unfortunately took a loss to Stephen of Austin in Friday's opener and took a pair of losses to 13th-ranked Louisiana. Although, especially in the first match, um, or first game, excuse me, between um, Louisiana, um, the Govs were right in it, you know, ended up falling late, but really right in it for the uh, entirety of that game. And maybe a little... A little discrepancy on the scheduling and the seating there that made the Govs play Louisiana again. I, yeah, I don't mean, know the full story there. but Well, it's it's Louisiana's home tournament, and they get right of first refusal about who they do and do not want to play and when when they do not want to play them, I guess. Uh, Dudley uh, performed well throughout the entire weekend, uh, collected either a hit or an RBI in four of the five games, going 5-12 for 12 overall at the plate with two RBIs, two runs scored, and a homer overall for the weekend. Men's Golf opened its spring with a runner-up finish at the Invitational at Savannah Harbor. Looked like they were going to hold on, but some live-scoring discrepancies handed the title to USC Beaufort. Uh, talked a little bit to Robbie Wilson about this when we were at the coaches show the other night. Uh, they were four shots wrong on the live-scoring, which you and I have done live-scoring. Yeah. It's really hard to have one team four shots off. Because yeah. the Govs, when... Uh, when they finished up, they thought they'd won. They were celebrating. They were, they thought, all right, another win, way to start the spring. Uh, I get it. There's human error and stuff, but man, yeah, four, four shots. shots. I mean, we did that tournament for them in Dixon, and I it, think we even missed in, like three shots yeah, the whole tournament, even in the crappy weather as well. Yeah, and, you know, scorecards could be misread or yeah, I mean, it's, type of wrong. I mean, it's hard to get four shots for one team. Yeah. Like, Anyway, we're not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna harp and dwell on that. But I was, I was very surprised to see it, to see the live scoring go from USC Beaufort plus twelve to USC Beaufort plus eight, yeah, in one update. For the Governors, Michael Bussey with a top five finish to open his spring. Chase Cordy rallied after a very tough opening round for a solid finish. All the guys really improved. Uh, from one round to the next, knock the rust off. It's good to it's good to get the spring underway and just get out there and get after it again. And also, it's probably not bad to go to Savannah, Georgia, and play down there. As for the tennis uh, tennis teams, the women played IUPUI and extended their unbeaten streak now to seven to start the season. Um, absolutely destroyed them in terms of the scoreline. It was seven zero, and they won every singles match in uh, straight sets again. But um, the, the Jaguars were in this in the doubles. Um, it took a tiebreaker 
from the number three doubles team of Danielle Morris and uh, Helena Kupik for the Govs to take that doubles point. And they really just took all the momentum there and really just used their, their singles prowess to really gain the upper hand. You know, it, as soon as the first couple of games of these singles matches were underway, it was clear the Govs were probably going to roll away with this and they ended up doing it. Um, now 7-0 and to, to start the season. That is the best start that is at least that's the best start that we can that's confirm. the best start you know of yeah that was that's the best we can confirm in program history uh, on the men's side they started on saturday playing against carson newman at home uh won the doubles point of winning 6-1 for their second win of the year uh good performances all around uh from amantas uh, ozelis hunter sanders and um anton damberg uh each of them um after that game had won uh, after that match, had won three straight singles matches. Unfortunately, those streets came to an end against a tough Louisville squad. Um, the Govs did get a boost. Christian Edison did return uh, after his first, um, as, as some might remember, after his first fall here as a freshman. He was actually ranked in the top ten for the OVC preseason player rankings. Now a sophomore. Um, played the first couple of matches. Um, had a couple. Had to take a couple matches off due to injury. He came back. Um, and, and, and played well. So um, hopefully the Govs can build at least on the one win. They know, you know, you got to beat Louisville, but they're a regional powerhouse. Yeah, you should and, probably yeah. get beat I mean, it's regional powerhouse, you know, and they, they've, you know, contend regularly with nationally ranked teams. So nothing to, to hang their head about. Track snuck one last uh, journey away from Clarksville in before the OVC Indoor Championships. Took a very small group. Up to Cape Girardeau for one last run. The big story was Savannah Amato pulling a season-best 4.10-meter mark in the pole vault to win the event and pull back into the league lead there. Freshman Tiana Johnson also won the 55-meter dash with a personal best 7.22. Not many people headed up to the Cape, but those that did uh, seemed to get something out of it. And Terry Taylor also won co-OVC player of the week sharing that award with John Morant so again we, we touched on that earlier about how some of the maybe the Murray folk weren't agreeing with it due to I guess Murray's win I guess maybe they're basing that off but there was also something about a Olsen watch list and so I don't I don't pay much attention I, I was totally fine with them being co oh I was as well like I guess I yeah. mean you score 42 points of 18 rebounds it's not like you just, yeah. it's, not, it's not like he Terry had six points and three yeah. rebounds against Murray. I mean, Terry, Terry was great. Jaw was great. Why can't they both be great? I don't know. Anyway, we'll wrap this up, bring in Emily Moore to talk for a little while right after this. Well, they say the sea is rising. Well, that's all right with me. Because there ain't no other place than on the sea I'd rather be. And that second coming's coming, it's right around the bend. And someday could be any day this world is gonna end. But that's alright, that's okay. There ain't nothing we can do about the whole thing anyway. It's a hangover. It is still February, it is still February, right? Yep. And... Softball is somehow underway despite the freezing temperatures, but Emily Moore has been involved with Austin Athletics all year long in a lot of different capacities, and today she's consented to join us on the PCAST. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. So, before we get deep into a bunch of other things, this is SAC's Mental Health Awareness Week. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you like to shed a little bit of light on that before we get going? 
Yeah, so um, with SAC, we put on an initiative this year all throughout the OVC, and our goal really is just to spread awareness of mental health um, across all 12 schools in the OVC. And we really want to provide support for those who are struggling with mental illness and give some mechanisms to kind of fight the stigma that comes with the mental illnesses. Um, and so we have different activities and events planned throughout the week. We have painting and puppies. Um, kind of. I'm as looking forward to that on Friday. <laughs> yes. I got Combs this email and I was like, do I, do I get the puppy? <laughs> do I bring my own puppy? How does this work? Hey, you do whatever he, you want. <laughs> he said I could not have the puppy, but I could bring my own Aww. if I wanted to. All right. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, and then we have other things throughout the week. We have a panel. Um, we have a message board kind of to spread positivity and encouragement. And just as a way to promote student involvement in this and really just spread awareness and educate people on mental mental health. Why did this become such a big topic at the OVC SAC level? Because that's where this originated, right? Yeah, um, it's it comes from the OVC and they really wanted everyone across the board to do it this year. Um, I think it's just something in society that we tend to not really overlook, but it doesn't get as much attention maybe as it should because it is a serious issue. And so we really just want to spread the right awareness and the correct facts just so people know what's going on and if they need help, they can get it. And if they see something, then maybe they can help someone out. Talk a little bit about your involvement with SAC and why it's important for you to be involved in something that helps other people out. Because you could just play softball, go to class. Being a student athlete is plenty enough, and yet you're <laughs> going above and beyond. Yeah, so what SAC is, it's Student Athlete Advisory Committee. And um, last year I was the marketing chair, and this year I'm the secretary. Um, and I think it's just a really good way to be involved in other things besides just the straight athletics part. Like, we do a lot of different events um, and those other initiatives. Like, we do Help an Elf during Christmas time where we um, collect donations to give to, to give toys to families who are in need. Um, we do Hoops for Heroes. We do Ghost. Um, we do a bunch of different stuff just to help the community and connect with other people around us. And I think it's, it's also a good way to meet other people on other teams um, in sort of a leadership role and create those bonds that are not just solely in your team. Um, and also a way to get things done through athletics that if we just sat back and just let other people do it, it wouldn't get done. Are you, do you encourage your teammates to be proactive in kind of taking control not only of the team but also their athletic this is y'all's athletics department mm -hmm. you you are the drivers for certain things and you do have a voice and I think it's important for you guys to be a strong sack and and be able to to put words to power a little bit yeah I definitely do and us as a whole sack we encourage our teammates and the other members of sack to kind of like make this our own not athletic department but our own experience um there's a lot of things that we have created just like on our own or we've gotten things done. And so it's really just a cool way to have our own ideas and then present them to administration and just to see those things come to pass. Even before Austin P, you were about giving back. Can you explain to me what the Diamond Project is? Yes, so the Diamond Project started when I was a junior in high school. Um, 
And my Spanish teacher, she had a nonprofit in the Dominican Republic, um, and her husband is from there. He plays baseball there. And so I got to talking with her, and we were talking about how baseball is so popular down there, but, like, what about softball? Like, what do the girls do? Um, so we got to talk in a little more and we decided to start this project where we collected softball gear from our high school and the surrounding high schools and we were going to donate it down to the girls in the Dominican so that maybe they could enjoy the sport that we love here just as much. Um, so we did that. I sent emails to every coach we played before the game um, and they, they brought their gear and at the end of the season we packed it all up and shipped it down there. And then we thought that was going to be the end of it. Um, it was a really cool thing, like how everybody got involved. Um, but then the next year, the fall of my senior year, it actually, we took it a step further. So we took a trip down there. My team, there was 11 of us, and then a few baseball guys too um, went, and a few parents and my coach and my Spanish teacher. Uh, we all went to the Dominican, and we did a clinic and we played a little tournament with like local Dominican girls and teams. And it was an amazing experience. We got to visit some schools while we were there and we walked around the little city. Um, we actually played a game in the middle of a sugarcane field um, in a little village, so that was awesome. Um, but yeah, it was just such a cool experience and to think that just one little idea grew into like a once-in-a-lifetime experience like it was life-changing and just an amazing opportunity how much does it open your eyes to how blessed and fortunate you are to to be able to live where you live and do what you do when you go and you see true true poverty in some cases yeah it was amazing um and definitely something i'll never forget like I have so much equipment and so many opportunities just on a daily basis that I tend to take for granted sometimes. And then we went to the Dominican and these girls were like, they were sharing everything they had, their gloves, their bats. Um, they played in, they played in the sugarcane fields and like we play on nice fields every day that we don't even think twice about. Um, and just like the way they live their daily lives. They have so much less than us, but they still were so happy, so thankful for us being there, just hanging out with them and just playing a, a game. Like, it was awesome and something I will never forget. What got you into softball as a kid? Um, well, I played t-ball as a little kid, like most people do, and then I actually started playing baseball because there weren't any softball teams in my area yet. Um, I played baseball for about three years. Um, and then my mom, once the team, once the softball teams came to town, my mom was like, you should play softball. And I said, I don't want to play with the girls. Like, I want to play with the boys. <laughs> and I was, I was probably eight years old at that point. And then I finally made the switch to softball. And it's like, I've played ever since. Like, it's been so life-changing. Like, everything I've learned, like, it's just been so much fun and to think that I never wanted to play at all <laughs> like I couldn't imagine my life without it you're a native of Colorado right well I was born in California but I moved to Colorado when I was about three so and then, then I grew up in Colorado so and now you're here and now I'm here a lot of schools between here and Colorado have you <laughs> wound up in Clarksville yes um, I get that question a lot but I went to a camp and I met the coach um, 
while I was in high school. And so I kind of talked to him there and things went on um, from there. But I always wanted to explore a different part of the country. And for some reason, I thought Tennessee seemed like a pretty cool state. So then I kind of narrowed it down to Tennessee and I ha already had the contact with the coach. So uh, he came and watched me play and then it all just worked out. So I'm happy with my choice for sure. From freshman year to sophomore year, there were a lot of changes, but maybe none more so than what happened on the field results-wise. You guys mm -hmm. went from bottom of the conference to one of the best teams in the league. It seemed like it happened overnight, but it, <laughs> it obviously didn't. Talk about how you guys progressed so quickly. Yeah, so my freshman year um, was completely different than my sophomore year for sure. I think going into my sophomore year, we were all a little bit more relaxed, I'd say. And with the coaching change, um, we had to depend on each other a little more. And so it definitely brought us closer as a team. And then we really just wanted to have fun, I think, was one of the main things. Um, we pushed each other, but we also still left room for like for fun and just to relax and enjoy the actual game and not be so worried about results and all of that. And then the results just came with it as we just played the game. Now you're one of the top teams in the league. Mm -hmm. You're one of the favorites. How do you manage expectations for a program that has not had expectations for a very long time? I think it's definitely something that we have to focus on as a team. Um, we all have our individual expectations of ourselves, but like you said, our team is one of the top in the conference now. I think we just really have to rely on each other and what we've done in the past, especially last year. Um, we really just have to remember that it's just a game, just to have fun and not put so much pressure on ourselves. And uh, with the new coaches, they've been awesome. They're so knowledgeable and they do like to have fun. So I think that helps a lot with the team chemistry and managing those expectations. And like I said, not putting too much pressure on ourselves and just go out there and play Austin Peace softball. Now that you're one of the upperclassmen, do you feel any kind of pressure to be a leader? I do, not, not so much pressure, but more of like, it's just come naturally, I guess. Um, I've held a lot of leadership positions in the past, informal, informal. Um, and I've never been like a huge vocal leader, I'd say, though it is something that I'm continuing to grow at every day. Um, I'm more of a lead by example type of leader. And I always really like to support my teammates and to bring them up um, no matter what. And so I think that's a huge role of mine in the team. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna be the one like hyping everybody up with words, but I am gonna be there just to like pick people up when they're down and just continuing to encourage and do the right thing and just be there for my teammates. Hey y'all, quick break to talk about water dog scuba and safety. If you ever wanted to learn how to scuba dive, Water Dogs is a proud sponsor of Austin P. Athletics, and they are Tennessee and Kentucky's premier scuba diving center. 
Water Dogs offers programs for all ages and all skill levels. With over 100 years combined experience, Water Dogs guarantees the highest standards of quality in terms of teaching, safety, and services. For more information, you can visit www.waterdogs-scuba.com. Once again, that's www.waterdogs-scuba.com. How did you get involved with our athletics marketing department? So that was kind of random. And so one day I was in class and my friend, she was involved in the marketing program. And she said that they needed extra help at the football pep rally uh, one of the first weeks. And so I was like, I'm not doing anything. So I'll just go help out. So I went and I handed out pizza. I handed out T-shirts. Um, and it was really fun. Like. I met a lot of cool people, and then the next week they're like, oh, we need volunteers. Would you like to help out again? <laughs> and so I said yes, and ever since then, I've just really enjoyed it. Like, it is a lot of work, and it's different. Um, it's different to see how things work from behind the scenes. I get a cool little walkie-talkie. I hear all the things people will say back and forth, how to, how to make things run smoothly. Um, and it is really interesting. It's really fun. The people I work with are awesome. Um, and it's just been a really random but cool opportunity and experience that I'm really thankful for. Does it give you further appreciation for what goes into making an event an event, no matter the scale, that there's always people in the background doing something to make the event what it is? Yes, it definitely does. Um, I, as an intern, I have to show up probably like two hours early for most sporting events. But the head marketing people, Sam and Bailey, they have to show up like four hours before the event and get everything going. And they've also been working on it all week. So like there is so much that goes into just a single game that the athletes and the fans just never even think about. And it is, it is crazy. And it makes me very appreciative because Things always tend to run smoothly, and we just don't even know where it comes from. But now I do, and it's really cool. Three seasons, three head coaches. Obviously, that's not normal or standard for, <laughs> yeah. for anyone. How have you guys handled that as a team, and how have you handled it as an individual? It's definitely been interesting. Um, not what I expected coming into college. Um, I knew it was a possibility, like nothing's for sure, but um, three different coaches has been crazy. It's definitely been tough at times, both individually and as a team. Um, but like I said, I think it's helped us grow closer as a team because we've had kind of the same core group of girls for about three years. Um, so we've really grown closer and learned to lean on each other more. And we really, I mean, that's how we get through things. Um, and with different coaches comes like different strategies, different philosophies. So we've had to adapt each different year, but I think that's also made us more knowledgeable and helped us to adapt more and uh, get through the change. Um, because we've had to be, we've been pushed and challenged every single year um, and we have grown closer and I mean, the results show on the field. I think we've gotten better each year. So, I mean, third time's the charm. So <laughs> I'm excited for what the season brings. How much pride do you and that core group that have been around since the beginning 
take in the transformation that the softball program has seen over the last couple of years? We are, we love it. Like it has been such a cool thing to be a part of um, because we did kind of start from the bottom. I mean, the OVC, we were at the bottom and now we are one of the top teams. Um, It's been really cool to be a part of it and just to see, I mean, you don't see it really day by day as much. Like it's a grind every day. We go out there, we practice, we lift weights, we condition. Um, But over time you see the change and you see like the team chemistry coming together, the bonds growing. Um, And it's really cool just to be a part of something that has developed like that and has brought so much success to the school and the team. Well, that's the easy part out of the way. Now is all the stuff you don't know about. <laughs> all right, here we go. What is your favorite word? Favorite word? Um, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's your least favorite word? My least favorite word? I don't really like to think about it because, I mean, I don't like the word. And I don't really have a specific one, so, Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 we're not moving on from that. That's oh, a cop gosh. out. My least favorite word. Um, I really don't know. I try to avoid them at all costs, so I can't think of one. <laughs> well, not like swear words or anything, just a word know, that I when know. you hear it, you're like, oh, it's Like cringe? Yeah. Um, uh, I guess... Um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Who or what inspires you? Um, I think seeing what, seeing like passionate people, like people who actually love what they're doing, who truly like are happy and enjoy what they're doing and what they're talking about. That really inspires me. Um, so yeah. What was the last book you read for fun? Last book I read, Chop Wood, Carry Water. Never heard of it. It's a really good book. You should read it. What's it about? It's about the process of becoming great. It's a short read. It's really good. Doesn't sound like it had much in it for me. <laughs> what is your worst habit? Worst habit? Um, I say sorry too much. What is the most terrifying situation you've ever found yourself in? Um, one time I was driving with my mom and our friends, and this guy was driving next to us, and he like rolled down his window and waved at us, and we had no clue who he was. And so we kind of sped up, and he sped up, and then we slowed down, and then he pulled back and was following us. And so... <laughs> And it was really creepy. And then we were exiting, and he had driven in front of us. And it looked like he like had given up and was just leaving. And then we exited. And then right at the last second, he swerved in front of us and like cut us off. And then we got off the exit, and he continued to follow us and creep us out. But then eventually we ditched him. So <laughs> it was How really long weird. did this go on? It was about like 15 minutes. Oh God. <laughs> it was creepy. What is your idea of happiness? Idea of happiness is uh, just being able to enjoy what I do on a daily basis, enjoy the people I'm I'm with, and 
I guess just make the best of every situation and be content. What is your idea of misery? Misery is mm, being stuck in something that is just miserable. <laughs> well, thanks for reading uh. the definition of misery back to me. <laughs> You're welcome. What makes you self-conscious? Um, I would say maybe failure or what other people think of me, um, which is definitely something I'm working on, but yeah. What is the most embarrassing song that you love? Oh, gosh. Um, I love a lot of show tune songs, and I know pretty much all the words to them, so it'd probably be one of those. <laughs> cool. I want a demonstration. <laughs> Maybe later. Nope. Right now. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop recording this thing until you give us at least a bar or something. Well, I could spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious in, uh, a, in, a, in a tune. Okay, fine. Go ahead. S-U-P-E-R-C-A-L-I-F-R-A-G-I-L-I-S-T-I-C-E-X-P-I-A-L-I-D-O-C-I-O-U-S. That's fun. There you go. How would you prefer to die? Um... I don't know. Right now in this very moment after you just did that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I take pride in my Disney my Disney uh songs. <laughs> I'm going to have I'm going to get you to record a bunch of stuff my kid loves musicals <laughs> and like that's his his bedtime thing is to watch sound of music. So, I uh, have to get you in the rotation somewhere. Okay, I'm down. <laughs> so, yeah, about the dying thing. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe peacefully somehow. <laughs> If you were reincarnated, what would you like to come back as and why? Um, probably some kind of bird, because I've always wanted to fly. I think it would be really fun. Any particular kind of bird? Uh, no. I don't really know a lot of different types. <laughs> An eagle that's illegal to hunt and kill, maybe? I mean, maybe. That'd be pretty cool. What might prompt you to lie? Uh, I'm a really bad liar, um, so whenever I think about it, I, like, I can't. Like, I look at someone, and I literally cannot lie. I have to tell the truth. That, well, okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess I'll pass that along to the <laughs> people that employ you. <laughs> what makes you hopeful? Um, I think, uh... Thinking about the future, thinking about, like, what I dream to do or what I hope to do, um, that really makes me hopeful. Or seeing, like, examples of the past, like, seeing what other people have accomplished or hearing their story, that really makes me hopeful for what I can achieve and for what this world could become. What is our purpose in life? Our purpose in life, I'd say, is to... Be a good person, help others, do your part to make the world a better place, and help people out whenever you can, uh, just so we can all live together. So you're a couple of weeks into softball season now. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about it? What What are kind of your personal expectations for yourself and the team this year? I'm really excited. Um, I think we've had a pretty good start. Um, definitely there's always room for improvement, but... 
I think where we're going in practice and in games is definitely in the right direction. Um, our goal is to win an OVC championship, and I think that's completely doable. And I'm really excited to see what happens with that. Um, and individually, I just want to continue to grow every day, um, just kind of master my craft defensively and offensively and mentally for sure. Um, but yeah, I think we have great team chemistry. Our coaches are awesome. They've really pointed us in the right direction this year. So I'm really excited and I think we're gonna have a really great year. What are you planning to do with the rest of your life? What am I planning to do? That's a great question. <laughs> I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I wanna do after college, like as a job or as a career. I do wanna do the Disney College program right after I graduate. So I guess I know that, but I don't know where that's gonna lead me to. I can't believe we got almost 26 minutes into this and we somehow buried the lead on that. <laughs> Could you please explain? Yes, so the Disney College program is something you can do in school or within six months after you graduate. And it's where you go to Disney, either Florida or California, and you do a bunch of different jobs there. Um, you learn about Disney, you take classes about it, um, you get to experience like how they run things, how they do everything. Um, you get free access to the parks whenever you're not working, so that's super cool. Um, but if you're there every day, <laughs> how, I mean, wouldn't it be like, yeah, I guess I can go to work again today for free? I don't know, I love it. It's magical. <laughs> okay, so when did you decide this is what you were wanting to do? Um, I think high school probably. Um, I looked into it, and I've always loved Disney, like since I was a little kid. I grew up in, well, I didn't grow up in California, but I was born there, and I guess we went there a lot. I didn't really remember it because <laughs> I was only like one years old. But um, So it's always been something that my family has been into, and I think it'd just be a really great experience, just even if I don't end up working for Disney, just to make those connections and to experience um, a work environment in such a successful company. I think that'd be awesome. Um, so yeah, that's what I plan to do for the first six months after I graduate. <laughs> and by the end of that six months, you're kind of just hopeful that something's, you figured something out? Exactly. <laughs> it's a good plan. It's yep. a solid plan. Well. Um, that's actually the best life goal anybody who's come through here has had so far. So we'll just <laughs> we'll just end it right there. Awesome. <laughs> and one more just thank you for coming in. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Head over the wall. We're just a drop of rain over a waterfall. It's a hang on kind of ride. We're spinning through space and time, rocking this big old ride, just trying to have some fun. So let's drink another beer. Here's to another year. Let's take another crazy trip around the sun. Let's take another crazy trip around the sun. Big thanks to Emily Moore for coming on this week, providing a little bit of levity to the podcast and some entertainment. Um, because these are the weeks that try SID souls. Everybody is competing this week. Everybody. I mean, sure, soccer's not scheduled for anything, but I'm sure they're competing too. By the time you hear this, Austin P will either be finishing up the 2019 OVC Indoor Championships or getting pretty close. 
The Wednesday-Thursday format is due to a facilities change this year. This is the first non-campus site in the history of this event. Birmingham Crossplex, great facility. Doug Molnar is raved about it with good reason because his athletes tend to perform well there. It will be fascinating to see how this all shakes out, though, because these athletes are conditioned to peak on Friday and Saturday, and now they're being asked to perform at their very best on Wednesday and Thursday. I'm not saying they won't, just saying this offers an opportunity for more upsets and more variety than many past events. Whether or not that's to Austin's advantage kind of remains to be seen. Ten governors among the league's top five in their respective events heading into this event with an additional eight lurking around the top ten. Pole vault, obviously, is the big one. Uh, the Govs, desperate to sweep the podium and have as good a shot as they've ever had with Savannah Amato, Daisha Hicks, and 2018 Outdoor Freshman of the Year Morgan Bradley all on board. Amato should be particularly charged up after being charitably overlooked, but I'll just go ahead and say snubbed for OVC Field Athlete of the Year. She's the only conference performer in a field event ranked in the top 50 nationally, but I'm sure she won't take it personally. Lennox Walker, Sabrina Richmond, Tymetha Tolbert, all threats to wind up on the podium in the sprints and hurdles, and the 4x400-meter relay team remains atop the league with all three of the OVC best marks in the event coming in Birmingham earlier this month at the Bulldog Open. So the Govs, a lot of opportunity here to, to bring home some hardware and impress at this event. And the final home basketball weekend is set to start Thursday as the men and the women welcome Southeast Missouri and UT Martin into the Dunn Center this weekend. And I, for the women, slow starts absolutely crush them at SEMO and UT Martin. Um, I also start chronologically here. We played SEMO first. Uh, I'm pretty sure we went down 8-0, went down like 14-4. to I mean, it was bad again. Um, and but but the Cubs took the lead around the third quarter mark. In late third quarter, they were up eight with about three minutes to go in the third quarter, and ended up losing by ten. Um, just did not close out the game, shooting well, and allowed the Breadhawks to go 12 of 14 from the line in the fourth quarter alone. And I think at that point they were like four out of six for the game, and they went 12 out of 14 just in the fourth quarter. And you know when you're when that happens, you get 12 free points and you're not shooting the ball well in in the second half. It's going to be hard to win those games no matter how much you uh, were ahead by at one point. Um, SEMO is not the best offensive team. Um, they don't really shoot the ball that well. They're under 30%. Three-point range, bottom near the bottom in free throw percentage. Um, they do play good defense. They're third in scoring defense, only give up 63.5 points a game, somewhere around there. Um, hold their opponents to under 40% shooting as well. And they have a one of the OVC's best players in, in Tezia Thompson, who is, you know, we, we talked about Adebayo, you know, last weekend being an absolute walking bucket. She is as well. Um, she is, I think, third in the lead in the league uh, in scoring, just under 17 points a game, I think, and she's the top rebounding guard in the league, averaging over seven rebounds a game as a guard. That's all. That's both. That's the best on Southeast Missouri as well. Um, she has taken the most free throws in the league, most free throw attempts in the league. Uh, just really a do-it-all player. She still shoots the ball well from the free, the free, the free throw line. Um, charity stripe. Yeah, charity stripe. Uh, and she does it better than Simo as a team by about seven or eight percent. So it's a very big increase in terms of you know being that high in terms of I think it's around 73%. Um, 
the Govs need to contend with Latrice Sane. I don't know how if I'm pronouncing that right, but Latrice Sane, um, about six three, six four, a center who has only played in 13 games for the Redhawks this year and only averaged about three points, three rebounds a game. But against the Govs, she went off for 12 points and eight rebounds. Uh, had a couple blocks as well, and she just continued to be a nuisance on the offensive and defensive side. Anytime the Govs drove in the lane when she was in the game, you were either getting blocked or forced somewhere else that is not to the basket, especially in the second half. This really started to hurt the Govs um, because they weren't able to get to the hole, had to take a lot of contested jump shots, which is why their shooting percentage went down. Um, against UT Martin, it was probably the, the worst that first, was a quarter bad in, first quarter. In, yeah, um, we're down 26-6 after the first quarter. But then the rest of the way, we're, we're, we were better the, than the better Martin. team. Yeah. And especially on a, in a hard-to-play environment, I think, at the Elam, uh, Elam Center, right? Yeah. Um, they, I think they outscore, ended up outscoring the Skyhawks by 11 over the final three periods. And I think they closed it to, they closed it to just a four-point gap with about 90 seconds left. And I don't know if you remember, but they played great defense on that next possession. And I think it was Amane Robertson who was honored at that game for being a 1,000-point scorer for the Skyhawks. Ended up hitting a turnaround contested fadeaway jumper. And, you know, there's not much you can do. It's great defense, hand right in the face, shot clock winding down, just better offense. Sometimes you just got to applaud. But um, in in that game, it was also known Maya LaFleur picked up an injury there that unfortunately – end of her season and she came off and provided a huge spark this um, up to that point against the Red Hawks of Southeast Missouri. She had 13 points in that game. Uh, that was the g- game high for the Govs along with Keisha Gregory who had 13 and um, she also came off the bench and had valuable minutes against against, against the Skyhawks before um, unfortunately falling with an injury. So it if the Govs are able to get off to a good start against UT Martin and SEMO, you know, y- you would expect that they um, could, could easily win both of these games. Obviously, UT Martin is, you know, above them in the standings and maybe presents the tougher task on paper. Um, they have a girl who's um, won a couple Freshman of the Week awards, shooting 50% from three-point range. And it's not like she's like 5 for 10. She's like 50 for 100. Wow. Like, it leads the league in, in, in three-point shooting, obviously. Um, so if, if the Govs can take care of this, take care of these two teams they could be looking at a possible top four finish honestly and I know it's it's that does maybe not mean as much for the men because you have a bye or a double bye or whatever because right, it's just straight one versus eight here or two versus seven so on and so forth but you know they could really work work their way up if they want to try to you know if, if they know a team maybe who they think they match up better against they can try to draw them early on in in the OVC tournament I mentioned it earlier really just one win of these next four and they're pretty Ought much Primarily, and that that would even if they even if they win one out of four, they finish at nine and nine. That's gotten them in the past, you know, uh, two seasons. They went nine and nine last year, eight and eight before the schedule expanded the year before. So really, just one win gets them in, in my opinion. Even if they lose all four, they could still be in. They're they're um, two games ahead of the ninth place team at the moment. Top eight get in. So really, you know, especially winning against Simo would would primarily guarantee that if they're able to even get two, could even be talking about a top four finish. On the men's side, the Governors are in with the first round bye right now. Uh, now it's time to focus on hopefully trying to get that top two and the bye into the semifinals. And they'll do it against two teams that they defeated on the road earlier this season. The Govs handled SEMO last time around, but things are a little bit different now. For starters, there's no Dayton Gum providing that instant spark off the bench. But for another, 
Gabe McLothan of Southeast Missouri played 19 mostly unremarkable minutes for the Red Hawks back in January, but he's averaging 18.5 points and 10.5 rebounds over the last four games as Rick Ray has turned to him much more often, and he may have stumbled upon a winning formula, but the Red Hawks have to face Austin P. Murray and Belmont in the last four games, and they'll be desperate for a positive result here as they try to keep their hopes alive. They're part of that bottom end of the conference quagmire that's desperately fighting for those last two OVC tournament spots. And if you got to face us, Murray, and Belmont in his three of your last four games. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, you're, you are already behind the eight ball as it stands. So the Red Hawks, and that's, that's why this time of year, you know, even though the governors are in top four and comfortably have that by and can, I don't want to say take it easy, but certainly that, that worry about getting that first bye out of the way, they don't have to worry about that anymore. This is where you get trap games like this with these teams that are fighting for their very lives. UT Martin is another one. And they're deploying a fancy new weapon in mid-year transfer. Craig Randall II, who had just been added to the Skyhawk roster, but not cleared to play when the, gov- when the programs met on January 12th. The Duquesne transfer is now the reigning OVC Newcomer of the Week and honored Jabari McGee earned following the Guz's visit to Martin. The Skyhawks very nearly toppled the Guz after Kevin Little drove the length of the floor unabated and dished to Quentin Duff for a layup. Then two missed free throws found the ball in UT Martin's hands as the clock wound down in a two-point game back in January. But Taylor swatted Little's shot at the rim as time expired to preserve the victory. Absolutely do not want a repeat of this. Obviously, Govs would love to put these two programs away. No muss, no fuss. But the addition of Randall makes the Skyhawks especially dangerous. They won four in a row, including a 66-64 win against Jacksonville State on February 7th. Jacksonville State, one of the other programs that's already earned that first round by, and a team that the Governors beat by two on their home court earlier this month. It's going to be a busy week for the baseball team, not only because of the schedule, but also because of the impending weather. So as always, we remind you to check social media and letscopy.com for up-to-the-minute delays, changes, or cancellations. And if all goes as planned, the Govs will be hosting Bradley, West Michigan, Toledo, and Northern Illinois at the hand, and they're part of the Mule Mix Classic, which what, Mule Mix is what exactly? Like I don't, a, okay. don't, don't try to go down that rabbit hole. I did once, and I just I didn't have the 20 minutes necessary to listen to the explainer. It's it's a not quite tournament. It's basically northern schools come yeah. down. They need a place to play. Southern schools have places to play. We are technically in the south, just barely. Yeah, it, I, I guess it's technically like a an ACC like Big Twelve challenge, something like if college basketball just with baseball and the OVC and the MAC. Or well, it's not quite the MAC, but a lot of MAC schools yeah. seem to be involved. Uh, it's complicated. Yeah. Um, the northern schools that I mentioned are coming to the midst area to take on the Govs, and also joining the Govs uh, from around the area are Lipscomb, Belmont, and Middle Tennessee. Um, so it's you know home contest for for us and a, res- a respite from the cold for another. Although we all know how fast the weather can change here. Yeah, it's so nice today. <laughs> no referendums can or should be passed for one weekend and play across college baseball. I mentioned this after um, you know the Govs were. Swept by Kentucky, not, you know, obviously you don't want to lose any game you play, but at the end it's an SEC team. Um, and and compounding on that, what I just said, Western Michigan and North Northern Illinois were two of the four worst teams in the MAC last year, but 
that was a long time ago. Could have had some new players. Could have got some, uh, you know, new pitching, stuff like that. Other teams could have lost more stuff. Um, the four games and four days event will not end Austin Peay's week because the Govs then take on a consensus top two program in Vanderbilt. And they are the right now the number one team in the poll. Um, this is their second SEC foe in the season's first eight games. And we'll, We'll have a real good idea of what we have here. We're going against the Commodores. Uh, last year, Andrew Flaherty, is how you say that? Flaherty. Flaherty. Uh, went two Man, for four. you're just so German. <laughs> and drove in three against, uh, went two for four and drove in three runs against the Commodores and current rotation stalwart and friend of the pod, Brent Brett Newberg tossed an inning and a third score that and a third score in relief two years ago. And uh, Flaherty also hit the lone homer in last weekend's series against Kentucky. Softball's not here because they're not here. The early season journey takes the Govs this week to Lake Charles, Louisiana for a three-game set against McNeese State Friday and Saturday before hopping over to Beaumont for a one-gamer against Lamar on Sunday. The Governors finally re-enter the Volunteer State for a midweek single game against Middle Tennessee in Murfreesboro, the closest the Govs will be to Clarksville until March 9th by some 160 miles. It's tough to find a lot of fault with much early this year for the Govs. The pitching, even aside from Rackles, no-no has been pretty good and occasionally transcendent. The lineup still has two players hitting better than 400 in Kelsey Gross and Carly Matson, and three more north of 300, including Rackle, who's pretty great at just about everything. The tennis teams were supposed to travel to North Alabama on Saturday. The women were supposed to go off at 10 a.m., men at 1 p.m. Those have been postponed. Um, the women will now take on North Alabama next month, March 20th at 1 p.m., and the men will now play on a separate date, March 26th, also at 1 p.m., and also both matches still at North Alabama. So the next match for the women is on the road against Kennesaw State on March the 1st, and f- or March the 2nd, excuse me, and the men will now stay at home and host uh, Southern Indiana, a team that they defeated last year, uh, and they will host them on March the 1st in the Governor's Tennis Center, maybe even outside, depending on the weather. Yeah, by March, it could be pretty nice. Men's golf will return to the side of one of the biggest moments in program history when the Ghosts play in Auburn's Tiger Invitational beginning Sunday at the Auburn University Club. Back in 2014, this is where Austin P. great Marco Eaton blew away the field at the NCAA Auburn Regional, winning the event by four shots in one of the greatest individual golf displays the Governors have ever seen. In this tournament, the Govs will be facing some of the nation's best programs, including three, Auburn, SMU, and Arkansas, in the golf stat top 25. After a runner-up showing last week at Savannah Harbor, the Govs bring a lot of momentum into this event and could raise a few eyebrows if they get some breaks. And for community service opportunities, you need to contact Haley Jacoby for all of these. Bird School, First Christian Church, Mana Cafe, you know, all organizations looking for... Um, for help, and you can get some community service hours as well. Read Across America is March 1st, and also March kicks off the Buddy Ball basketball season, which runs from the 1st of March to the to April 26th, and is a great opportunity to interact with some awesome people and touch their lives. The big event, which is Austin P's yearly on-campus service initiative, is scheduled for Saturday, April 6th, so keep an eye on that. We're you know a, a while from that, but... Always good to get that out early and get as much information about it as can, or at least let the people know that it's coming up. Also, service trips to Memphis, St. Louis, and Nashville are available during spring break, so if you're a traveler and like to do community service, well, go see Haley Jacoby, and she may have something right up your alley. 
Uh, we talked a little bit with Emily Moore about Mental Health Awareness Week. Friday is Puppies and Painting event, and it will be from noon to 2 in the Dunn Center. There will be dogs in the Dunn Center. I know what I will be doing from <laughs> noon until 2. The OBC Leadership Workshops that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, February 25th for the athletes, February 26th for the coaches. You should have that information. If you don't have that information, you know by now to go to Combs, and Combs will get you that information. And applications are being taken now for the Athletics Peer Mentoring Program. If you guessed you should contact Combs about that, well done, but this isn't a game show. Get in touch and stay in touch via web and social media. Speaking of things people should no longer really be guessing about, Dylan, where can people find yeah. us? Uh, you can find us at letsgop.com, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at letsgop. You can find all of the respective individual teams on Twitter at their respective handles. Um, Taylor Wiseman and Tyler Davis in uh, video services and um, digital media are getting a lot of good content out when the end of basketball season and now baseball and softball uh, opening up tennis now in the in, in the thick of things as well. So uh, you know, stay tuned to all those uh, social media outlets to, to see all that. Let's go P.com for dates, news, and stories. Dylan, Cody Bush, Stefan L.A., and myself. We are constantly striving to get you all the information you could ever possibly need about Ostopy and Ostopy Athletics. And I know the Murray game's over. There's only two home or four home basketball games left but on two days. But we're still playing, and we'd love to have you in the Dunn Center this week in, you know, for the, the final act of Austin P. basketball in the Dunn Center in, well, I was going to say 2019, but they Saturday the fall, but Saturday Senior Night. Get out, support yeah. these seniors for Senior Night. So if you do end up needing tickets, Katie Locke and Cindy Hooper still are going to help you out if you want to come out and see the Govs. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or directly on the website at letsgop.com. Give us a rating and review on the podcast because I need your adoration and support. And if you'd like to suggest a guest, let us know of a local or on-campus event we should shout out. Send along some helpful notes on alliteration. Tweet at us. I'm at CWilson225. He's at Dylan Schwartz. Probably how you'd expect to spell it. And we will talk to and or about you next week. Goodbye. I need your energy. I need your energy. This world is killing me. Light it up. If you feel me, feel. 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 I need your energy. High life. High life. High tide.